Blunt, Sam here to let you know about an opportunity for athletes all across the UK and around the world. Now, Critcast Pod has teamed up with Mission UK and a friend of mine, Tom Whittle, is the founder. Now, their company um, works to fuel athletes extraordinary by using their hot and cold brew teas. They work with 50 GB athletes and it's being tried and tested on one of Tom's world record attempts where he ran the length of Iceland in just 10 days. So there is a discount code on their website. So use CritCastPod at checkout to get a discount on your first order. So feel free to go and check them out. But without further ado, let's get straight into this episode of the pod. So guys, welcome back to Critcast Pod, the podcast that looks to find the personal side of the persona. Now this week, we have a very special guest. Please welcome Dan Joyce. Dan, how are you? Good mate, how are you? Not too bad, not too shabby. Just uh, enjoying my week. We're Wednesday, I think. But yeah, just trying to get through it. You know, that, that lockdown period where you just... I mean, I'm just sitting in my bedroom at the moment doing, uh, doing loads of calls online. Um, what's the last sort of three months been like for you? Obviously... Year 12 at school at the moment, what sort of bits are you missing out on and, and how have you filled it in? Yeah, so it's been almost a, a break from the whole school life and exam preparation and things like that. Um, like my overall workload has actually decreased and so has my productivity, I guess, as well because science high and whatever. But the training has been almost a blessing in disguise. Really being able to work on some of my weaknesses for an extended period of time and as well, now moving a little bit to potentially getting a few races, I'm probably exactly where I really need to be to try and run some good times this year. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it would, would have been something to look forward to, especially this year following, uh, you know, three years on the trot, English School's champion, you know, that, that big, those big titles that you're looking at um, and also some, some of the England national titles as well. If we were to pick out one of them to to sort of speak about in terms of the build-up and in terms of the actual performance, which one would you feel is maybe has the best story behind it? And maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, the, your, uh, your process into that race and then the race itself. I mean, I think potentially under 17, bottom year. So going in, I think maybe running 154. I'm sure the stat checkers will tell me that I'm wrong. but There's probably a few sure out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my better mates, Ollie Carver, was probably favourite having ran maybe 152 the year before but he hadn't had a great season obviously he was going through exams the same struggles I guess we all have as well of trying to balance exams with training and it was all it was a case of just getting to the final it was basically I should have got to the final that was almost nailed on and then once you're in the final it's it's almost a game of cat and mouse like especially in the 800 with it being such a testy back office standoffish event it comes very um very based on the last kind of 150 meters so uh, for anyone who's seen that race the guy who ended up coming second jack higgins with about 120 meters to go yeah. was maybe 10 15 10 meters ahead of everyone else i think i was in fourth coming around the bend and i didn't know he was actually there i was completely unaware of where he was so I've come around maybe two others to see him 10, 10 metres ahead. So I guess at that point it was kind of just head down, arms pumping, legs legs going. But I mean, I think that was probably the the biggest challenge of all the English schools that I've won. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to know Jack Higgins as well. He's a great lad uh, from Kent. So he's involved in that Kent team. Uh, and I was at the English schools as well that you would have won. And, and I think sometimes 
when you're so sort of immersed in that experience, you actually don't always watch all of the races. Maybe your, your teammates and stuff are involved in that. Um, but sometimes it's sort of like blinkers on. Was that the same thing for you? Like, how would you prepare for a race? Is it complete shut down or is it like, you know, just having a chat with everyone? Yeah, 100%. I mean, funnily enough, I actually slept in the morning of the final. So I think my <laughs> race is maybe it. 10 o'clock, yeah. But I think leaving around 8, I probably got up about 5-2. It was a case of five breakfast bars is my breakfast on the bus on the way there. <laughs> But, I mean, when you're in that kind of environment, you just put it put it to one side. You just complete and focus, like you said, blinkers on, on almost a task at hand. And as soon as you're on the start line, like, the adrenaline, like, the focus is just absolutely 100% on the job. So, and I think that's almost a little bit of a, a mental edge that I feel like I kind of have. I can really um, hone in and focus on what, I, what I'm planning on doing. And I seem to execute it pretty well quite a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you've had extreme success, as we mentioned, over um, with the England titles as well as like the English school stuff. I guess it all merges into one sort of. But um, uh, out of those two, which were sort of the bigger ones to win? Obviously, you know, doing the doing the triple um, consecutively is, is huge. But is there an argument to say that the, the England national is, is a bigger one or is it the schools that takes it? The England nationals is a real strange one for the people who are like under 15, under 17, because... It's so late in the year. It comes off a off a period of where most people are kind of peaking for English schools in what July, early July. And, it and then you go right yeah, yeah, that you have to go again. So it's almost it's a drag for for them. Like then three weeks leading up to that, it's a real um, test of kind of like just hanging on to the end. And again, like I said, like once you're there, you just focus on the task at hand. But you you know that the preparation's probably not being quite as ideal as maybe you would like it to be, and the fitness is kind of tapering off a little bit towards the end as well. And um, I remember I got absolutely smoked by Max Bergen, um, bottom the end of seventeen. I mean, he gave me that that English schools title basically because I think he might have had you were under 18s. Yeah, I think he did, and and uh, basically I think there was a big buzz going round and then there was an empty lane uh, in the heats and everyone was yeah. like, what's going on, what's going on? But obviously he was uh, shooting off to under-18s or, or something similar. He might even been uh, injured or ill. Yeah, it was something along those lines. But, I mean, he is so, so good. <laughs> like, it's beyond belief. I mean, he's around, what, 145 now? Yeah, mental. He'd be, he'd be challenging for teams. I think he just needs a little bit more experience maybe in like races with guys who run as fast as him. Yes. Um, and maybe because he's always took it out from the start as well. So for anyone who's watched him, it's it's seriously impressive to see him run. But yeah, it was. Um, I remember coming coming around the first lap, and I tried to go with him, um, and I told myself that I thought I could beat him. But I mean, <laughs> you have to. You have to in that scenario. You have to back yourself. But I got to about three hundred meters, and down that home straight, I was genuinely feeling like I was sprinting. Like I yeah. could have finished finished after 400 metres and being blown. Um, you'll see, I mean, I think me and Jack Higgins probably have the slowest final 200 metres of all time in the right. <laughs> final, because that was just an absolute uh, tread and, tread and water, Tough, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talk about the, the mental preparation that goes into, goes into a championships. Also, the physical aspect of, of sport is obviously massive. And from a young age, uh, you've had quite a different uh, introduction to the sport. Where did that all start? 
and if you could tell us a bit about, I guess, um, your, your journey into athletics to start with. Yeah, so I guess um, from a young age, I've done every sport underneath the sun. So cricket, golf, uh, rugby, all the school sports, um, every school team. And then I kind of, football was where I excelled at a real young age. I was tall and I was fast for my age as well. So it, I guess at that age, it's almost like it is pure physical, and a little bit skill-based. And then I wasn't really getting anywhere in football. And I actually picked up horse riding, having been from quite a country-based place. So an element um, within the horse riding community is a sport called modern pentathlon, which involves five sports, uh, swimming, running, fencing, shooting, and horse riding. So as you can imagine, that's pretty diverse. Five set of sports I have to train for. So I think that gave me a real good overall athleticism um, base and almost knowledge of competing as well because not only would you do the modern pentathlon competitions but you would go to a fencing competition go to a swimming gala i think i ran my first 800 because i was training with my brother under 13 top age i think i ran 216 at bmc in durham pretty swift uh, yeah it was, it was pretty solid i think i'm negative split as well so nice <laughs> i think the 800 was probably where i excelled and i just so happened to kind of stumble on it through my brother as well and then i guess even having two older brothers that like competitive nature as well playing heads and volleys in the garden or school field we had loads of lads around the doors who would come out and play red arse or whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that lent itself to becoming a pretty good all-round athlete and then when I stopped doing that and really focused on the running my like training actually decreased so I actually went from maybe training six days a week um, all different sports to like three days a week purely running and I think what I found at that young age as well where as of like now maybe more 4-8 guy um, I worked on the real speed endurance side of things rather than doing big volume I feel like that's probably where you you find almost that's where your strengths develop as you get older is from what you've done at a young age so i think if i was to like give advice to someone who's just starting running and want or wanting to get better is focus on like the quality rather than the quantity and get really good at your form and enjoy it as well like if you don't enjoy it there's no way you're gonna be running six days a week when you get get to like more advanced stages yeah absolutely i think that enjoyment and that passion comes you know comes across through lots of different athletes and the way that they have to sort of balance their time and balance their training maybe a bit different i mean the fact that you dropped down training was quite interesting was that because because you you physically wouldn't be able to keep up with six days of training a week or is it uh, maybe a bit of advice that you've got to actually hold back to the to the three days well, it was more that just wasn't the need for it. I was only training maybe two days a week for running before that, maybe one day. And as soon as I cut all them out, my obviously my training for running increased, but the other sports decreased. And that's where I thought there could be potentially a, you know, they would see like a negative impact on performance because maybe I'm doing a little bit more specific training, but the overall like workload and work capacity was decreasing and I think that that probably is a testament to really focusing on the quality of what you're doing like even if you do have to back off it doesn't make as much a difference as maybe you think it will I think that's quite a valuable lesson as well even now I'm finding I work probably towards like seven or eight week training blocks and then I'll probably take like a down week something like that but sometimes you just know you need that day off I think everyone's been there like 
they've got I, I work on a Tuesday and Thursday for a session sometimes I'll be wrecked after a Tuesday I'll just take off the day on the Wednesday where it would normally be an easy run maybe do an extra bit of foam rolling an extra bit of stretching and then come back for some good quality work on the Thursday yeah I think that that's where it's at and especially for the longevity of it we've spoken on previous podcasts about how important it is to actually you know match your maturation level and make sure that you're developing at the at the right age i mean obviously for you you were you know tall and quick which obviously helped but then in in terms of like maybe looking into the next few years what's the plan for you being in year 12 now probably looking to look around universities is it the uk for you or are you looking further afield as well no i think i'll be following the likes of uh james west and people like that and uh, neil gooley across america and um, i'm not too sure where i'm going to go yet but i know that on my kind of athletics career, I've decided the next five years, which is going to be year 13 all the way through to the end of university, is going to be mainly running focused. Obviously, you have to do the academics and it's important to get them good results if you if you don't make it. But I want to, if I'm going to continue on like an athletics career, I need to be running 145 coming out of university. I, I applaud those who are willing to maybe sacrifice maybe the luxuries in life to really get where they want to be as an athlete but i don't love running enough to make it a complete lifestyle if it isn't almost reaping the rewards i understand that there's going to be up and downs and fluctuations in success and things like that but if i dedicate maybe five years and before i go to america i prepare myself to be able to train at that high intensity that they have in the ncaa then i'm going to give myself the best bet to be able to come out of university and kind of make them that leap to the senior level but not only to be competitive but to be making teams and competing at british champs because ultimately that's kind of my overall desire is to, to be competitive and to win. Nice, because um, I mean, there, there are a lot of different routes and I think that, um, you know, it's worked and maybe not worked for lots of different people, but often it may come down to the individual and, and their sort of mindset all the way through. But no, it seems that you've got, you know, a good, uh, a good idea of what, what you, uh, you want to do. And that's, that's really exciting. On Crickcast Pod, we asked some Crickfire questions. These are sort of like slightly faster questions that may tail off a bit. Uh, but they can be answered in any sort of depth you like. Um, so if there was if there's anyone that you'd like to beat on the circuit, um, who would that person be? I would have to say um, Ben Patterson. And yeah. I'll tell you why. I think Ben Patterson is probably the one of the most talented kind of 800 meter runners that we have, other than maybe Max Bergen. And people don't realise that about Ben. He's competed with Max Bergen from the age of under 15. They've had um, some serious races. Yeah, like yeah. they are both unbelievable. And I think to beat Ben Patterson would be almost, you have to do everything right. He's got that 47, 400 speed. He's got the speed endurance over the injury meters. So I feel like to beat him is almost a, a pretty good feather in your cap. I think he is probably one of the most, I mean, he's not even underrated. He's just kind of, because Max is so good, people maybe slightly neglect the fact that he's run 146 already. <laughs> It's just mental. I mean, you know, if, if you're, I mean, for you, Dan, and also we spoke last week to Henry Johnson, and he said, like, you know, these kids that they're competing against, I say kids, like, you know, they're athletes that would be, like, that's the, the world qualifying time from last year, Max ran it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, just that level of competition and how, you know, those boys are just putting in results. Um, uh, Westy actually mentioned that it, it sort of worries him a bit when those young athletes are putting in proper good times. Um, yeah. 
So hopefully they can either back it up or at least um, look to sort of progress throughout, throughout the next age groups. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that could be, that could be a good name, to, good name to get. Yeah, I guess in my kind of naivety around like the running community as well is no one seems to be doing more than 40 miles a week. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I think time to kind of back up the, the youth athletes as well. They're running some serious times, but I think a lot of them are leaving room for progression. I like to think that I'm doing that myself. I mean, right now is probably been my biggest kind of training period. So I'll be running six days a week, getting up to about 35 miles with um, one session, kind of 3K based. That's now a 1500 session as movement and a track and working on a tempo. And then a, a nine mile long run was what I was doing at like the, the max. But I, I, I really genuinely don't know anyone who who at least admits to be doing like what people seem to think they do at like 60 or up at like 60 70 or whatever yeah no it is an interesting point and i think that if you can leave that room for improvement and you know there's always i guess where the elite guys are at now they're probably double day and maybe three days a week um so pretty big um but yeah no it's really good that, uh, that you're keeping that all in check and uh you said before you're grabbing a meal deal and I love a bit yeah. of meal deal chat. Um, what, what did you go for? So it was Tesco. So I think the pinnacle of the meal deal supermarket is Morrison's. Okay. Uh, oh, that's a big shot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think they've decreased the price as well, three pound rather than three fifty. So they're not breaking the bank anymore, which was which was a negative before. <laughs> chicken and bacon mayo sandwich. It's not really chicken and bacon though. It's it's a sandwich filler. So not too keen. It's a bit like baby food. But um, <laughs> yeah. kind of pushed the boat out a little bit today. I went for a white Twix extra. Oh, any good? Um, I've never actually had one of them. They're right. Yeah, normally, it would probably be a pack of, a pack of crisps or refrigerators, but um, I actually went and bought a big bag of Doritos as well. So they had that added. And then a the, um, smoothie, naked blue one. I've got the actually. Yeah. Blue machine. Beautiful. There you go. And was, it on, was that on value, or do you genuinely enjoy the, the taste of it? Nah, they're, they're good. I mean, I'd happily... I mean, I don't know if you know who Speedy Louie is. He's an right. Irish agent. Right. Uh, he, I think Shout he got a, a deal with uh, Innocent Smoothies Island, so... <laughs> really? As well? Yeah. I mean, not a deal. I mean, they sent him a few drinks and stuff. But yeah. yeah that's, that's <laughs> Ideal. And um, at the moment, are you sort of like supported by any brands? Or uh, I guess the other question as well is, uh, who would be your, your dream one to get? I think just purely for kit, um, it would have to be Nike. So if they want to send me a kit drop, I obviously feel free. Off the podcast um, as well. If Nike, lis- if Nike listening to the podcast, <laughs> I'm Sam Crick. My address is. <laughs> um, so yeah, feel free to drop us a message. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to sort out Dan as well. Yeah, 100%. Need them. I'm trying to get some new uh, Mamba 5s for this season. So Nice. Uh, yeah, I'll get them delivered. Uh, Absolutely love the Mambas as well. They're quality yeah. uh, for um, steeplechase. Yeah. I love them. I think a lot of the 800 meter guys actually do wear steeplechase spikes. Yeah, well, I used because I used to run in um, Victory Elites. I got this, I don't know how I got this deal, but we were in Croydon and uh, they basically, I think they were like 25 quid for Victory Elites <laughs> and it was started just a li- year later. I wonder where they got them from, but basically oh. I, was, I was running in them, the old carbon fibre plate. And uh, I was just, I was getting all right times, but I, I got into the, the Mambas for the steeple and then wore, wore them on an eight. Actually, 
gassed it. I was like, that's buzzing. <laughs> Quality. But, um, yeah, yeah that, that's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, kind of athletes. I mean, Jake Whiteman's an example. He was with Nike originally, wasn't he? I think he found that New Balance was maybe a little bit more of like a personal feel for like the brand. So I think obviously for athletes, there's a lot more to think about, maybe more than the kit that they're actually going to be wearing, maybe more to do with obviously contracts, money, things like that. And as well, kind of how secure they, they feel because not to dig out Nike, but I remember him saying that they, they, they pay pretty well, I think you said, but they're quite quick to take off you if you don't stop performing. Mm. So I think there's obviously a lot of kind of pressures as well that, that go on athletes to perform, which again probably drives them to push their bodies too far, getting injuries, maybe racing at times where they probably shouldn't. Mm. I mean, a really good example of that in terms of, I don't want to talk too much about what Nike's doing wrong, but what New Balance are doing right is when um, Alex Yee uh, suffered a, an injury from a bike crash that he had and I think it took him a, a long while to get through it same with Johnny Davis actually but took him a, a long while to get back and they sort of stuck by him every single step of the way and I think maybe you know that bike might be missing and and where you know athletes may now look to brands like New Balance who have been over the last five years just you know huge uh, progression yeah. huge growth so maybe you know far more competitive on that scene but um but yeah that's that's really cool to to hear so kit would be Nike and then I guess overall sponsorship, maybe maybe a new balance, would you reckon? Yeah, maybe. I mean, that kit's pretty nice as well. Yeah, I'm, cool. I'm yet like wear uh, new balance spikes, but yeah, I'd definitely be up for it. Might be all right. Decent. And if there was uh, anyone that we could get on these Wednesday episodes where we sort of have a quick catch-up and a chat with um, the up-and-coming athletes of the country and around the world, who would that person be? I mean, maybe Ben Patterson. That's yeah, a, get him on. <laughs> who does he want to beat? <laughs> I think another one as well, Ollie Carvel. Yeah. He's serious. He was seriously underestimates himself as well, which I think he could he could seriously be good if he if he put put as much emphasis on it as maybe some other people do as well. Well, Dan, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, this chat that we've had. Um, thank you very much for giving up your time, and I hope that uh, everyone on the podcast has enjoyed this episode. Uh, if they want to follow you on Instagram platforms or social media, where can they find you? Yeah, it's just Android's underscore, so pretty straightforward. Nice. Um, well, guys, thank you for listening to Critcast Pod. Hopefully this has given uh, a bit of an insight into the up-and-coming athletes of the future, and we wish Dan all the very best um, if we have a race this year or in the coming years as well. So, Dan, once again, thanks for your time. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. We'll catch you later.